Okay, so no one under 17 in here, right? No. I was sitting next to my son last night putting slides together, and uh, uh, the idea here for the title came to mind because I realized if the book of Judges were really made into an accurate movie, uh, there is no way I would let my seven- and nine-year-old boys uh, watch the movie. It's uh, quite exciting. I think uh, church attendance might pick up if we spent a little more time in, in the book of Judges because it's a pretty uh, stimulating book. Let me give you just a, a flavor of the beginning and the end of the book of Judges. Okay, within the first few verses here, we talk about a, a conquest, uh, one of the few conquests that the Israelites had during this time, and they found this king, and they fought him, he ran away, but they chased him, they caught him, they caught off his thumbs and big toes, and he said, 70 kings with their thumbs and big toes cut off, have picked up scraps under my table, God has now done to me what I did to them. Of course, God didn't do it to him, as these were the the leaders of Israel that, that made the decision here to cut off his thumbs and big toes. Okay, so uh, that's how the book ends or begins, and this is how the book ends. What, what is called frequently the worst story in the Bible, a uh, story of the Levite and the concubine, and this is something we'll talk about next time. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's just a terrible story, and how after she had been uh, raped all night, uh, her husband took his concubine's body, cut it into 12 pieces, and sent one piece to each of the 12 tribes of Israel. And this violence is um, not just isolated here and there. It runs through virtually every chapter of the book of Judges. Uh, it's really uh, quite remarkable. We think of the Bible as uh, being a great uh, love story. And, but, boy, you read the book of Judges, and it's just brutality. So we have some sad uh, verses here at the beginning of Judges. I think I read this last time, where the Lord's servant Joshua, son of Nun, died at the age of 110, and that whole generation also died, and the next generation forgot the Lord and what he had done for Israel. Okay, and uh, th there's a nice uh, summary here at the beginning of Judges of what happens as a cycle over and over and over and over again in this book. So whenever the Lord gave Israel a leader, that's what a, a judge means, a, a leader, the Lord would help that leader and would save the people from their enemies as long as that leader lived. The Lord would have mercy on them because they groaned under their suffering and oppression. But when the leader died, the people would return to the old ways and behave worse than the previous generation. They would serve and worship other gods and stubbornly continue their own evil ways. Then the Lord would become angry with Israel and say, this nation has broken the covenant that I commanded their ancestors to keep. Because they have not obeyed me, I will no longer drive out any of the nations that were still in the land when Joshua died. I will use them to find out whether or not these Israelites will follow my ways, as their ancestors did. So the Lord allowed these nations to remain in the land. He did not give Joshua victory over them, nor did he drive them out soon after Joshua's death. And so the, the book is essentially the, the people go into a form of captivity where another nation rules them, they're oppressed. This may go on for a long time, decades. And then a leader comes and because the people cry out for help. Okay, then they're victorious for a period of time and they go back again. I mean, it's, um, almost wanted to count through how many times it happened, but it's again and again and again. So let's go through a few of the specific examples here in the beginning of the book. Uh, first of all, last time we, we mentioned how devastating it was, how it simply was not possible from God's perspective for the people to really be his and yet to intermarry and intermingle 
with the, uh, the other nations. And we talked about how uh, debased those other nations were. Well, that's exactly what happened here in Judges 3. So the people of Israel settled down among the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. They intermarried with them and worshipped their gods. Okay, exactly the, the worst thing that could have happened. Okay, so some specific examples. Okay, on this occasion, the people of Israel sinned again against the Lord. And because of this, the Lord made King Eglon of Moab stronger than Israel. Eglon joined the Ammonites and the Amalekites. They defeated Israel and captured Jericho, the city of palm trees. The Israelites were subject to Eglon for 18 years. And then the Israelites cried out to the Lord and he sent someone to free them. This was Ehud, a left-handed man. The people of Israel sent Ehud to King Eglon of Moab with gifts for him. Ehud had made himself a double-edged sword about a foot and a half long. He had it fastened on his right side under his clothes. And then he took the gifts to Eglon, who was a very fat man. And with his left hand, bringing gifts, Ehud took the sword from his right side and plunged it into the king's belly. The whole sword went in, handle and all, and the fat covered it up. Ehud did not pull it out of the king's belly, and it stuck out behind between his legs. And uh, th this was actually the point last night when... Uh, uh, Caleb, my nine-year-old, was sitting next to me, and uh, he, he saw the word sword. He kind of has an interest in, in things like that, and uh, asked me about it. He was incredibly shocked uh, at this story. Um, several weeks ago, you know, we, we were going to read the Bible before bed, and uh, Caleb said, you know, I've, I've heard these stories like a thousand times, Dad. I know the Bible. Okay? So I had to tease him because he didn't know this story. Okay? But... Uh, um, we don't expect to find stories like this in the Bible. It, it, what, what do you get out of this story? You're brought closer to God by this story. Well, as, as we'll see, we, we have to read the book of Judges in the context of the whole Bible. Uh, if we take it in the context of the whole Bible, I think there is, God actually looks good in here, believe it or not. But, but let me try to make a case for that. First of all, let's give some more specific examples. Okay, they fell back into captivity again. And now Deborah comes and leads them against their enemies. And Sisera here is the commander of the Canaanite army. And they're defeated, so he's running for his life. And he heads for the tent of Jael. Okay, and Jael stepped out to meet Sisera and said, Come in, sir. Stay here with me. Don't be afraid. So he went with her into her tent. She covered him with a blanket. He said to her, Please, a little water. I'm thirsty. She opened a bottle of milk, gave him a drink, and then covered him up again. He then st said, stand at the tent flap. If anyone comes by and asks you, is there anyone here? Tell him, no, not a soul. Then while he was fast asleep from exhaustion, Jael took a tent peg, hammer, tiptoed toward him and drove the tent peg through his temple and all the way into the ground. He convulsed and died. Uh, not every uh, version has the part that he con uh, convulsed, uh, but apparently in, in the Hebrew, this could be translated as he had a convulsion. I think it's the first seizure recorded in the Bible, which is kind of interesting. Uh, also, the, the temporal lobe is the most epileptic lobe of the brain, so it might make sense that someone would, would have a seizure under that circumstance. Okay, so again, another incredibly violent story. Um, is it helpful to have this in the Bible? How is it helpful? Well, after this, we have the Song of Deborah. Okay, the Song of Deborah has some really nice uh, parts in it. And uh, one of them, here I saw this on a bookmark, 
some time ago in one of the Christian bookstores. It said, Lord, may your friends shine like the rising sun. And this was uh, at least two or three years ago that I saw this. And what was very shocking to me at the time, I just happened to look at this uh, bookmark, is we'd just been through a Bible study on the book of Judges. And uh, I thought to myself, that's not possible in the book of Judges. How could I miss a verse like this in the book of Judges? So uh, I'm in the Christian bookstore, so I run over to the Bible section uh, to find out. And it's in the Song of Deborah. Okay, but this is a little misleading because here is the whole verse in the Song of Deborah. So, may all your enemies die like that, O Lord. But may your friends shine like the rising sun. And there was peace in the land for 40 years. Um, So we kind of have a dot, 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 and we've picked out a nice, colorful uh, part of the verse. Okay, but if we're really going to be honest here and, and reflect on that bookmark, perhaps what was actually said, I don't know if you'd buy a bookmark like this, but uh, Lord, may all your enemies die with a tent peg driven through their temple, but may your friends shine like the rising sun. Um, now, I don't, I don't uh, I mean to make fun of this verse, but this gets back to the very, very important issue of inspiration, which we talked about a couple weeks ago. Deborah wished for all of God's enemies to die just like Sisera died. How would it sound if we concluded this Bible study and and I had a prayer like this? May all your enemies die like that. Is it reasonable for us? Since it's in the Bible, and the Bible is uh, inspired, certainly, since we have these words in the Bible, are are these God's words? Is this God's attitude toward his enemies? Since most of you probably won't be here when we get to uh, talk about Psalms uh, next year, Uh, This is a very important subject. Let's just read through a couple of the Psalms to discuss uh, this issue. Okay, here's how David felt on one occasion in Psalm 58. Break the teeth of these lions, of these fierce lions, O God. May they disappear like water draining away. May they be crushed like weeds on a path. May they be like snails that dissolve into slime. May they be like a baby born dead that never sees the light. Before they know it, they are cut down like weeds. In his fierce anger, God will blow them away while they are still living. The righteous will be glad when they see sinners punished. They will wade through the blood of the wicked. Now, we could make a list of hundreds of verses and stories, I believe, that would say God's attitude is not rejoicing in the face of his suffering children and that our attitude towards God's suffering children should not be to rejoice when we see sinners punished. But yet, here we have this song. All right, so how do we uh, interpret this? Again, this is the subject of inspiration, which is so important. Now, this is Psalm uh, 137. These words were probably by uh, Jeremiah. Happy are those who pay you back for what you have done to us, who take your babies and smash them against a rock. Okay, is there ever a reason to... uh, to wish for this. I mean, we have this in the Bible. Okay, so again, how we understand inspiration is so critically important. Now, one thing you'll notice as uh, we have words like this, like the Song of Deborah, is, uh, you know, like in a, in a political advertisement where after the advertisement is over, the uh, political candidate says, you know, I'm Governor Schwarzenegger or whatever, and I approve of this ad. Okay, the Bible does not have all these little footnotes 
that, um, that after the verse, you know, we have something like this, I approve of the theology in this psalm. Um, we don't have that. Okay, but I think these, these psalms are very important to us. Okay, I think they're, they're there for a very important reason. We shouldn't cut them out. The question is, why are they there? Well, uh, there, is, there are several occasions where God does comment. Okay, one of the best examples is in Jeremiah. Okay, this is an incredible exchange that God has with Jeremiah. Remember the one who said, may the babies be dashed against rocks. Okay, so Jeremiah said, Lord, if I argued my case with you, you would prove to be right. Yet I must question you about matters of justice. Why are the wicked so prosperous? Why do dishonest people succeed? You plant them and they take root. They grow and bear fruit. They always speak well of you, yet they do not really care about you. But Lord, you know me. You see what I do and how I love you. Okay, and here it comes. Drag these evil people away like sheep to be butchered. Guard them until it is time for them to be slaughtered. Okay, God responds. Okay, we, here we do have some commentary. The Lord said, Jeremiah, if you get tired racing against people, how can you race against horses? If you can't even stand up in open country, how will you manage in the jungle by the Jordan? Okay, but uh, it, you know, a few chapters later, Jeremiah comes back. And then I said, Lord, you understand. Remember me and help me. Let me have revenge on those who persecute me. Do not be so patient with them that they succeed in killing me. I did not spend my time with other people laughing and having a good time. In obedience to your orders, I stayed by myself and was filled with anger. Why do I keep on suffering? Why are my wounds incurable? Why won't they heal? Do you intend to disappoint me like a stream that goes dry in the summer? Okay, so he's back to the same thing. He's burning uh, with rage here. And, and Jeremiah, I mean, he had a horrible life, thrown in a well, thrown in prison. I mean, we can, we can understand, I, I think, uh, why he felt this way. Okay, but here's God's response. To this, the Lord replied, If you return, I will take you back, and you will be my servant again. If instead of talking nonsense, you proclaim a worthwhile message, you will be my prophet again. Okay, so we have words in the Bible by Jeremiah, holy man of God, and God would respond and say, you know what, this is nonsense. If you return, you'll be my prophet again. Uh, don't we wish that we had this commentary by God on every verse uh, in the Bible? Now, the reason I think these passages are so important is, I mean, we, we all struggle with hating our enemies, don't we? So we have here in the Bible people like Jeremiah, David, as we'll go through the Psalms, who did desire revenge and the worst on their enemies. And I think as, especially as we go through the Psalms, we'll see in so many examples where God was able to turn it around and God was able to lead David out of having those hateful thoughts, trying to lead Jeremiah out of having those uh, desires for revenge against enemies. So rather than seeing this as the ideal, I think we need to see, hey, the Bible is given to us to lead us out of thinking this way. And again, if our pinnacle of truth on everything is Jesus Christ, okay, and we hold every verse and chapter in the Bible to the light of what was revealed by God about Jesus, we see this reflects the thoughts and desires of sinful humanity who God is working with. Yeah, if God didn't work with Jeremiah, if he didn't work with Deborah, if he didn't work with David, what would he have done? I mean, he, he worked with the best that he could, and we have the book that, that we have, which, again, we need these passages.
Again, you'll see patients who have all sorts of unhealthy, destructive thoughts and desires. Okay, but what's important for healing, if you're a psychiatrist in counseling, that needs to come out into the open. It needs to be discussed. Okay, you need to help the patient work through those unhealthy thoughts and desires. Okay, and so I think uh, we see some of this here in the Bible. Well, we move on here to chapter 6. Gideon. This is an interesting story. And again, we're, we're cycling again. The people are... Um, uh, oppressed by another nation. Once again, the people of Israel sinned against the Lord, so he let the people of Midian rule them for seven years. The Midianites were stronger than Israel, and the people of Israel hid from them in caves and other safe places in the hills. Then the Lord's angel came to the village of Ophrah and sat under the oak tree that belonged to Joash. I think before, I think when we talked about Moses at the burning bush, I tried to make the case that the Lord's angel is... Uh, God himself. Okay, we won't go through maybe some of the evidence for that, but uh, we shouldn't be surprised. I mean, if God is going to condescend to be known as Son of Man, uh, to condescend to be called the Lord's angel is, would not seem to be uh, beneath him. But his son Gideon was threshing some wheat secretly in a wine press so that the Midianites would not see him. The Lord's angel appeared to him there and said, the Lord is with you, brave and mighty man. He's there secretly threshing wheat and God comes and calls, refers to him as a brave and mighty man. Gideon said to him, if I, may ask, if I may ask, sir, why has all this happened to us if the Lord is with us? What happened to all the wonderful things that our fathers told us the Lord used to do? How he brought them out of Egypt. The Lord has abandoned us and left us to the mercy of the Midianites. Now, can you see how Gideon really does not have a, a proper perspective on things? I mean, we're reading through the book of Judges and, and Joshua and through the 40 years wandering, and can't we see that the people have just rejected, 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 rejected all the things that God has wanted to do for them? But yet again, from Gideon's perspective, hey, where's God? Hey, and isn't that something that's often asked in the world today? But yet with perspective, we see God is there. I mean, he's been wanting to do all kinds of things. Okay, it's the people's refusal to, to work with God uh, that is the problem. So anyway, God gets blamed. But he doesn't defend himself. The Lord ordered him, go with all your great strength and rescue Israel from the Midianites. I myself am sending you. Gideon replied, but Lord, how can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the tribe of Manasseh, and I am the least important member of my family. The Lord answered, you can do it because I will help you. You will crush the Midianites as easily as if they were only one man and Gideon replied, If you are pleased with me, give me some proof that you are really the Lord. Please do not leave until I bring you an offering of food. Uh, what's interesting, I'll show the verse here in a few minutes, but in Hebrews 11, which is usually entitled Great Men and Women of Faith, and we go through the great men and women of faith, and there you find Gideon. Okay, and, and here's Gideon saying, Well, just a minute, give me some proof. All right, and... So the angel said, I will stay until you come back. And this kind of reminds me of Abraham. Remember where God came, talked with Abraham, and Abraham went and cooked a calf. And uh, you just wonder, what did God do during that whole time where the calf was cooked? Well, here we have the same thing. Gideon goes off to make a meal. And, um, you know, God could have snapped his fingers and spread out some food. He could have, I don't know, could have done any number of things. But I like to think of what it says about God that he just patiently waited 
while Gideon went and uh, cooked some food, cooked a calf. So Gideon went into his house and cooked a young goat, sorry, goat, and used a bushel of flour to make bread without any yeast. He put the meat in a basket and the broth in a pot, brought them to the Lord's angel under the oak tree and gave them to him. The angel told him, put the meat and the bread on this rock and pour the broth over them. Gideon did so. Then the Lord's angel reached out and touched the meat and the bread with the end of the stick he was holding. Fire came out of the rock and burned up the meat and the bread. And then the angel disappeared. When Gideon realized that it was the angel of the Lord, he cried out, O sovereign Lord, I'm doomed. I've seen the angel of the Lord face to face. It is all right, the Lord replied. Notice now it's uh, God talking. Do not be afraid. You will not die. Then Gideon said to God, now you think he's, he's got his proof, right? He's ready to go. You say that you have decided to use me to rescue Israel. Israel. Well, I am putting some wool on the ground where we thresh the wheat. If in the morning there is dew only on the wool, but not on the ground, then I will know you are going to use me to rescue Israel. Uh, again, uh, trumpeted in Hebrews 11 as a man of faith. And here he's doubting again, needing more evidence. This be a good method to determine the residency you're going to choose. Put some wool out. Uh, we don't do things like this very often. And it's, again, remarkable to think that God kept working with Gideon. That's exactly what happened. When Gideon got up early the next morning, he squeezed the wool and wrung enough dew out of it to fill a bowl with water. But then Gideon said to God, and I think what really happened, perhaps, I mean, wouldn't you think, if dew is coming down, isn't it going to stay in the sponge or in the wool and it's going to evaporate from the ground? And I think Gideon kind of kicked himself and said, oh, I should have asked for it the other way around. That wasn't very smart. Um, so Gideon said, don't be angry with me. Let me speak just once more. Please let me make one more test with the wool. This time, let the wool be dry and the ground be wet. Now, don't you think God's being pushed too far? Move on. Different, uh, different candidate here. But that night, God did that very thing. The next morning, the wool was dry, but the ground was wet with dew. And so, of course, um, here's the passage in Hebrews 11. It's really interesting that Paul takes a lot of time, if, if Paul's the writer of Hebrews, describing Abraham, going through all the great men and women of faith, and then it almost seems like he runs out of time. But as he runs out of time, he says, well, should I go on? There isn't enough time for me to speak of. Now, why doesn't he skip forward to Isaiah or, or Jeremiah or these kinds of people? Instead, he, the list he pulls up is from Judges. There isn't enough time for me to speak of Gideon, uh, Barak. I'm going to skip the story of Barak, but uh, that's an interesting one. Samson, that's what we're we'll talking about next time. Jephthah, here in a few minutes. And then David and Samuel and the prophets. Okay, it's interesting how that uh, Paul would put these people in. I think there might be some uh, encouragement for us. I mean, if Paul is going to list here people like Gideon in the faith chapter, uh, that should be encouraging for us. I mean, a guy who had a shred of faith, but yet uh, there he is. Through faith, they fought whole countries and won. They did what was right in everything, but they did what was right and received what God had promised. And of course, you know the story of how Gideon, with just a handful of men, blew trumpets, and the Lord made the enemy troops attack each other with their swords. He was victorious. Okay, but Gideon had a sad end. Uh, they brought him uh, gold earrings 
And he made an idol from the gold and put it in his hometown of Ophrah. All the Israelites abandoned God and went there to worship the idol. It was a trap for Gideon and his family. Okay, and Gideon, like many people in the Old Testament, had many wives, had 70 sons born to him, for he had many wives. He also had a concubine in Shechem who gave birth to a son whom he named Abimelech. And uh, Abimelech, again, I'm just trying to give you an accurate representation of this book. Uh, Abimelech was quite a character. After Gideon's death, people of Israel were unfaithful to God again and worshipped the Baals. They made Baal of the covenant their God and no longer served the Lord their God who had saved them from all their enemies around them. And so Abimelech, this son, got together the men of Shechem and he gave them 70 pieces of silver from the temple of Baal of the covenant. And with this money, he hired a bunch of worthless scoundrels to join him. And he went to his father's house at Ophrah, and there, on top of a single stone, he killed his 70 brothers, Gideon's sons. Okay, and we just skip over one chapter. Now Abimelech is trying to be leader, and he surrounds a city named Thebes. Okay, surrounded the city, captured it. There was a strong tower there, and every man and woman in the city, including the leaders, ran to it. They locked themselves in and went up to the roof. And when Abimelech came to attack the tower, he went up to the door to set the tower on fire. But a woman, and I just put this in because we talked about women here a couple weeks ago extensively in the Bible. A woman threw a millstone down on his head and fractured his skull. And then he quickly called the young man who was carrying his weapons and told him, draw your sword and kill me. I don't want it said that a woman killed me. And so the young man ran him through and he died. We just have these uh, incredible stories here in the Bible. Better to be run through by your servant than to have it said of you in history that a, that a woman killed you. That was the, the thought. Here is, here is I think, a, a wonderful little nugget in this very dark book. <clears throat> Again, the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. They worshipped images of Baal and Ashtoreth. Okay, we talked about what those gods were like a couple weeks ago. Not only this, but they abandoned the Lord and no longer served him at all. So the Lord burned with anger against Israel. And we've talked about this. Uh, I think we spent a whole Bible study on this. It's one of the most redundant principles in the Bible. God's wrath, God's anger. It's not found once, twice, it's dozens of times. What does God do in his anger? He burned with anger and he handed them over to the Philistines and the Ammonites. Again, to be given up, forsaken, Um, this is the the consequence, this is what we see again and again uh, in the context of God's anger. So again, we we don't look that word up in a dictionary and apply it. We need to see in specific examples, what did God do in his wrath, in his anger? Okay, and in this case, he handed them over. For 18 years, they oppressed all the Israelites. The Israelites were in great distress Finally, they cried out to the Lord, saying, We have sinned against you because we have abandoned you as our God and have served images of Baal. Now, listen very carefully. The Lord replied, Did I not rescue you from the Egyptians, the Amorites, the Ammonites, the Philistines, the Sidonians, the Amalekites, and the Maonites? When they oppressed you, you cried out to me and I rescued you. Yet you have abandoned me and served other gods, so I will not rescue you anymore. Go and cry out to the gods you have chosen. Let them rescue you in your hour of distress. So again, the the approach here, God said it. I believe it. That's all there is to it. God here says very clearly, I'm done. I will not rescue you again. 
Okay, so that's uh, the end of the story, right? But notice the people replied. They pleaded with the Lord and said, we have sinned. Punish us as you see fit. Only rescue us today from our enemies. Then the Israelites put aside their foreign gods and served the Lord, and he was grieved by their misery. And did he help them again? Uh, We just read on from Judges 10. He helped them a hundred times again, just in the book of Judges. Okay, even though he had just said, I will not help you again. And so um, I like to consider here God using very strong language to reach a very hardened people. Okay, but they responded. Again, just a a parent will sometimes uh, do things like that. But the other point here is, I mean, how does God feel? Uh, These people are worshiping other gods. Uh, They're misrepresenting God. They're making a whole mess of uh, this process. And God was grieved by their misery. Why would he be grieved by their misery? Uh, The only explanation is he loves these people. Uh, He's devastated by what these people are doing as they enter the promised land. And he's heartbroken. Last story we'll talk about um, here uh, today, and that's the story of Jephthah. I don't know how many of you are familiar with this story, but Jephthah, a brave soldier from Gilead, was the son of a prostitute, and because of that, he was thrown out by his brothers. Jephthah fled from his brothers and lived in the land of Tob. There he attracted a group of worthless men, and they went around with him. And again, when the Israelites were oppressed, they went out and said, Jephthah, would you help us? And Jephthah agreed to help them. And Jephthah promised to God, kind of a a deal here, made an oath. If you will give me victory over the Ammonites, I will burn as an offering the first person that comes out of my house to meet me. And I think here what's expected is that a chicken or something like that, I mean, we live on a farm or whatever, it's going to be an animal that's going to come out. Okay, I will offer that person to you as a sacrifice. So Jephthah crossed the river to fight the Ammonites, and the Lord gave him victory. When Jephthah went back home to Mizpah, there was his daughter coming out to meet him, not what he expected, dancing and playing the tambourine. She was his only child. When he saw her, he tore his clothes in sorrow and said, Oh, my daughter, you are breaking my heart. Why must it be you that causes me pain? I have made a solemn promise to the Lord, and I cannot take it back. She told him, If you have made a promise to the Lord, do what you said you would do, since the Lord has given you revenge on your enemies, the Ammonites. But she asked her father, Do this one thing for me. Leave me alone for two months, so that I can go with my friends to wander in the mountains and grieve that I must die a virgin. He told her to go and sent her away for two months. She and her friends went up into the mountains and grieved because she was going to die unmarried and childless. After two months, she came back to her father. He did what he had promised the Lord, and she died, still a virgin. This was the origin of the custom in Israel that the Israelite women would go out for four days every year to grieve for the daughter of Jephthah of Gilead. And so the the question here that comes up is, did Jephthah do the right thing? Uh, He made an oath. Uh, Was it the right thing to go through with it? And again, we have to struggle here with Jephthah of all people, ending up here in Hebrews 11, men and women of great faith. And there we find Jephthah. Um, So it's a very difficult story. Some have tried to explain, well, maybe he didn't really kill her. Maybe uh, it meant something else. But it would seem like if we're going to have an annual festival to remember uh, this whole thing, that this, this was something fairly dramatic that happened. It really did 
happen as, as we uh, read it. Um, well, I would really encourage all of you to read Alden Thompson's book, uh, Who's Afraid of the Old Testament God? Uh, he goes through a lot of difficult stories like this, and, and I really like his, his interpretation of Jephthah. Given the state of morality that is evident in the book of Judges, God had almost nothing positive to work with as he looked at his people. In Jephthah's attitude toward oaths, we have a glimmer of integrity. That's all it is. A slender thread out of which God could begin to weave a garment of righteousness and justice. God had to begin with the raw materials that were ready at hand. And we've seen that those raw materials are, would seem pretty bleak. In the work of character development, one can at least begin to work with a person who stands for something, even though he may be too rigorous and may even be standing for the wrong thing. And so I think perhaps one way of looking at this story would be that uh, Jephthah wanted to honor God. He wanted to fulfill his oath. It was a foolish oath, okay? But he, he wanted to honor God. He did something very foolish. But I think uh, perhaps in the story we can see where God even honors us in our foolishness sometimes. Uh, and perhaps, again, trying to work with people like this to bring about something uh, much, much greater. I want you to think about next time we're going to talk about Samson. Uh, we'll ask why would God bless a man with strength to uh, rip apart animals and people. Okay, and then we're going to talk about the story of the Levite and concubine. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, we, we certainly can admire in this book that uh, while we might be tempted either just to wipe out these people entirely or to leave them entirely, uh, just the fact that you remained, uh, you helped them, you accepted them back time and time again, uh, surely that says good things about you. Be with us again as we, um, as we think about you, as we try to come to a greater understanding of truth, reality, who you are. Be with us. Enlighten our minds. Amen.